And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we confess this evening that we do need you. Even as the second verse of that song that we just sang, Lord, help me to remember that I am weak and you are strong. Heavenly Father, help us to remember who you are and all that you have done for us. Help us to trust you. Give us faith to lean into you, to trust you day in and day out, to remember that you are faithful, that you are good, that you are merciful, and you are gracious. And in remembering who you are and all that you have done for us, help us to also see our need to recognize our unworthiness and yet to rejoice in your love for us. We pray that you'd be honored in all that we say and do this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 81. Sing aloud to God our strength. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon, at the full moon on our solemn feast day. For this is a statute for Israel, a law of God of Jacob. This he established in Joseph as a testimony. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, where I heard a language I did not understand, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. You called in trouble, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you will listen to me, there shall be no foreign god among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people will not heed my voice, and Israel would have none of me. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart, to walk in their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. He would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. Psalm 81 is a Interesting psalm. It's hard to put into a category. There's, there's kind of different things going on here. Really what it is, is it's most likely a psalm that was used in the celebration of a festival of Israel. Most likely in during harvest, uh, during the Feast of Trumpets, Atonement, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, uh, even as we'll see as we get on into verse 3. It's a psalm that would have been used at these feasts to gather the people and to call them to remember who God is and what he has done. 
You may have noticed, and we'll see this as we work through here, even as I was reading through it, you may have noticed all the references to Egypt. Again, that's something we've seen all throughout uh, the Psalms recently in the 70s, now into the 80s. They all reference back to the Exodus. Look what God did. And uh, we'll see that as we look at this this evening. There's really two parts to this psalm. The first part is a call to worship in verses 1 to 5. And then there's a shift in verse 6. And so from 6 forward, it is the Lord who is speaking. And that is verse 6 to 16. So the first thing we see in the first five verses is a call to worship. Notice that it's communal in the first verse. Sing aloud to God our strength. This is the, the gathered people of God, the gathered uh, nation of Israel. Sing to God our strength. This is not a song of lament. This is a joyful song. See that in verse uh, 1 into verse 2. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. Notice a couple things about this song of praise to the Lord. Number one, it is out loud, it is public, it is communal. This is the gathered nation praising their God together. Secondly, notice that it's a joyful. Make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. Also, it is pleasant. We see that at the end of verse 2. Raise a song and strike the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the lute. It is communal, it is joyful, it is pleasant. They are praising God. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon. At the full moon, on our solemn feast day. This is kind of a, a hint uh, to, to when this is going on. Not, not necessarily a time in history, but a time in the year. Blow the trumpet at the time of the new moon. This is most likely a reference to the Feast of Trumpets. It happened on the first day of the seventh month at the new moon. We see the Feast of Trumpets introduced in Leviticus 23, verses 24 to 25 it's interesting as you study the, the, the Feast of Israel, in fact, maybe that would be a great Sunday evening service a series for us to do sometime, to go through uh, after we work our way through Daniel 11, looking at all these little historical things. Then we'll go to the feasts maybe and look at that. But uh, they're a neat thing to study. And really what you see is these feasts, they're grouped together. You have the, the, the feasts um, in the springtime, and then you have a break, and then you have these, these feasts kind of all grouped together in the fall. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, but it's really neat when you look at that. And so here what you have, blow the trumpets at the time of the new moon. It's a feast of trumpets. It's a, it's, a, it's a feast that is meant to call the people together the first day of the seventh month at the new moon. And then you have at the full moon, at our solemn feast day. So the full moon would be then the feast of booths. The Feast of Booths happens on the 15th day of the same month as the uh, Feast of Trumpets. And it happens at the full moon. It's a feast where you praise God for his care during the wilderness wanderings. So where the Feast of Trumpets calls the people together, the Feast of Booths calls the people to remember and to look forward. Remember as God led us in the wilderness, as he sustained us for all those years, that's really where the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles comes from. They would build these little tents that they would live in uh, around Jerusalem, remembering as God provided for his people in the wilderness. 
And between these two feasts, the Feast of Trumpets and the Feast of Booths, you have the Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the seventh month. The Day of Atonement is a day where the people are called together to repent of their sins as their sins are covered by the blood of the Lamb that is slain. And so you have all these feasts kind of grouped here together. Feast of Tabernacles on the first day of the month, the new moon. The Day of Atonement on the tenth day of the seventh month. And the Feast of Booths on the fifteenth day of the seventh month at the full moon. And so while all the people are gathered here together, remembering this, remembering what God has done, and looking forward, that's an important part of the Feast of Booths. It's not just remembering, but it's a call to look forward too to the day when the, the, the promise that God will keep caring for his people until he comes back to fulfill all his promises. And so they're gathered, they're, they're, they're observing all of these feasts, and this is a psalm that they would proclaim. Gather and praise God with a joyful shout. Notice in verse 4, for this is a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. It is not optional. Come together and worship. This is not optional. I think that's an appropriate thing for us to pause and to meditate on for a while. Because I think it is easy for us to so often view worshiping the Lord as optional. I can't make it this Sunday. I don't, I'm just, I'm too tired. I don't want to gather with the church. And, and obviously this is specifically focused on Israel on these feasts come together. God has, has commanded Israel to gather together. But I think there is application for us. As you look at, it was important for them to gather. God mandated it. You will gather and you will worship me because this is important because I am worthy. It is important to gather and to worship the Lord. It is not something to be taken lightly. It is not optional for the people of God. We must gather to worship the Lord. Do not view a Sunday gathering or or a Wednesday gathering as something that is optional. If you can fit it into your schedule, build your schedule around it. It is the most important thing. This he established in Joseph as a testimony He established these things as a testimony. They serve a purpose. They testify to us of who God is. They call us to remember. He did this when he went throughout the land of Egypt. There's the first reference to Egypt where I heard a language I did not understand. Now this is the transition as you go into verse 6. From here on out is the Lord who is speaking, verses 6 to 16. So first you have this call to worship. Respond in this way, aloud, together, joyfully, raise the song, strike the timbrel, a pleasant harp with the lute. Blow the trumpet at this certain time because we are commanded to gather here because God is worthy. And then verses 6 to 16, now it is God speaking to his people who have gathered. I removed his shoulder from the burdens, his hands were freed from the baskets you called in trouble and I delivered you. Again there, it's a clear reference uh, to the Exodus. I removed the shoulder from the burden. His hands were freed from the baskets. Their slave service in Egypt. You called to me in trouble and I delivered you. Exodus 2, 23 into chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. As God's people cry out to him in their need in Egypt. And God hears and God responds. I answered you. In the secret place of thunder. Most likely a reference there to Sinai. 
You cried for help, and I answered. I delivered you. I led you out across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And there I answered as you saw me in power and thunderings, and you felt the earthquake. I tested you at the waters of Meribah. Selah. Pause to remember. The story of Meribah, it's really a sad story. As God leads his people out, they have been led across, out of the land of Egypt. God has answered their prayer. They've been led across the Red Sea. They've seen these amazing things. And then what do they do? They complain. There's no water. We're so thirsty. Oh, that we had stayed in Egypt where there was sweet water and fruits to eat. Oh, oh, that we had stayed. What's interesting, we see Meribah first introduced in Exodus 17, 1 to 7. Very soon after Moses had led them out of the land of Egypt, they complain. The Lord answers as Moses strikes the rock and the water comes out and the people drink and are satisfied. What's interesting is that many years later, in Numbers 20, as Moses strikes the rock again, when God commands him to speak to it and he disobeys, and water still comes out, that place was also named Meribah. There's two separate Meribahs, one at the beginning as the people question God, and one at the end. They're still questioning God. And that kind of sets the tone for the rest of where we're going here in Psalm 81. God has done this. I removed this burden. I freed your hands. I heard your cry. I answered you. I answered you at the place of thunder. I provided water for you. I led you out. And yet despite all of this, you questioned and you doubted. And that's the beginning of a pattern that we will see as we move through the rest of this psalm. After everything that God has done, his people question. They struggle to believe. In fact, you get to to verse 8, and this is really the cry of this psalm. Hear me. Admonish me. Just, Just follow me. Listen to me. Hear, oh my people, and I will admonish you. Oh Israel, if you will listen to me. Verse 9, there there shall be no foreign gods among you, nor shall you worship any foreign god. It's a commandment. I don't worship anyone else because I am the Lord your God. I am the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. That was me. Open your mouth and, and I will fill it. I will provide. I have done this. I am willing. I I want to do this. Verse 11, but my people would not heed my voice. And Israel would have none of me. It's almost shocking. I mean, maybe not so much to us as we sit here this evening, because we know the Old Testament, we know the story of Israel, we know their failings. We're just kind of used to it, we just read over it. But this is shocking. Look at what God has done. How can you do this? Perhaps what's most shocking or most sad as you look back on this 
And how is it so hard for them to trust a God who has proved himself and provided so much, and yet it seems so easy and they seem so committed to these false gods who've done nothing. They run back to them time and time and time again. It's almost as if God's always chasing after them. Come back. Come back. It's not they who turn back to God. God goes and gets them. I mean, God has done so much. He's provided so much. He has been so good. And yet, they're committed to these stones. These false gods. God stands ready to lead, ready to provide, ready to forgive. So I gave them over to their own stubborn heart to walk in their own counsels. But then verse 13, I gave them over, but, but it doesn't mean I'm done with them. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Again, returning to the idea of verse 8, listen to me, my people. Follow me. Trust me. If you would just, if you would just listen, then, then I would soon subdue your enemies. Turn my hand against the ravagers because the haters of the Lord would pretend submission to him, but their fate would endure forever. I mean, all throughout the Mosaic Covenant, Deuteronomy 6 and 7, God promised victory to their enemies over their enemies if they would just follow him. I will provide food for you, I'll provide victory, I'll provide land, I'll provide blessing. In fact, notice in Psalm 81 how eager God is to keep his word. He is begging his people to listen. I I want to bless you. I want to provide for you. I want to forgive you. Just listen. Just follow. It would have fed them also with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. I'm not just going to provide you with with moldy bread. I'm going to provide you with the best, sweet delicacies, abundant delicacy. I'm not just going to, I, I don't just want to care for you at a minimum level. I want to extraordinarily care for you and provide for you and protect you and lead you and bless you if you will just trust me and submit That's where the psalm ends. It's almost just kind of cut off. That really makes it kind of powerful where it just kind of ends. You see how eager God is to forgive and to provide, how faithless his people is, how stubborn they are, how foolish they are, and then it just ends. It's almost as if that abrupt ending is almost a call. I'm still waiting. Come back to me. Listen and follow. It's interesting, when you look at the two parts of this psalm, the first five verses and the last six verses, if you were to start with verses 6 to 16, verses 1 to 5 would almost seem out of place, right? God has just talked about how unfaithful his people is. And then they 
kind of respond in joyful shouts. <laughs> but really, that's the point, is it not? That we are unfaithful, we are undeserving, and yet God has shown us grace and mercy, and so we will come together and we will sing aloud to the God of our strength, and we will make a joyful shout to the God of Jacob. We will raise a song and strike the timbrel and a pleasant harp of the lute. We will blow the trumpet because God has been so good to us, because we are so undeserving. And as we come to these feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, and we look back and we look forward and we look around and we remember all that God has done and all the ways that we have failed and yet the fact that God is merciful and gracious. I think really that's the application for us today. In the church. As we look back at this song of Israel sung around the feasts and we see their worship of their faithful and good and merciful and powerful God we're called to remember our God. I think here we are called to respond in faith. See here that God is faithful. He keeps his word that God is good. That God is merciful. He stands ready to forgive. He, he is eager almost in this psalm it comes across. He is eager to forgive his people. He's powerful. I'll provide you the sweetest delicacies in abundance I would drive out your enemies and I can do that because I am a powerful God I am faithful I am good I am merciful I am powerful just follow me just be faithful I think even as we sit here this evening and we read a psalm like this and we're left to, to marvel at all that God has done, we're left to marvel at his eagerness to forgive his people, we're left to marvel at their foolishness and unfaithfulness. And yet I think if you're honest with yourself, if you're like me as you read a psalm like this, you're rejoicing in how merciful God is because you see how foolish you are. I don't, we can't condemn the Israelites for running to other gods, for being unfaithful, for questioning God, without looking at ourselves, our own hearts. How easy is it for us to do that? Not to trust God for, for the day in and to day out. But to question To run to, to somewhere else to find comfort, joy, happiness. And yet all along, God stands ready to forgive, eager to lead. If we will just submit and be faithful. So I think as you come to the end of a psalm like this, we're left with First, praise him. That's how this psalm starts. Praise the Lord. Look what he's done. And it ends in a place where he still promises, I will provide these things for you. Just follow me. 
and the people are left praising God. Think an appropriate thing as you look back, as you see how you have failed, and yet you see how good and gracious and merciful and faithful God is. Praise him. And then follow him. Resolve to be faithful going forward. Resolve to follow your merciful, your faithful, your eager God. Be faithful because He is faithful. And if He will complete what He has begun, He will accomplish all that He has promised because He is faithful. So be faithful. With that in mind, as we go to prayer,